Hey there, it's Matt from Generator. I would love for you to be able to listen to all of our new episodes as soon as they come out. So please make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or just head over to generatorpodcast.com. Also, if you like the show and want to support me, you can now leave me a tip with no membership necessary. It's just like tossing a buck or two into the hat of a street performer. So when you listen to an episode at generatorpodcast.com, you'll see a donate button right in the player. And please know that while it's never necessary, it's always greatly appreciated. So that's it. Thanks again for taking the time to listen. And now let's start the show. Welcome to episode three of Generator. And in this episode, I speak to one of my best friends on the planet. His name is Parker Fister. Now, Parker is not only a great friend, but he's my creative mentor as well. We met several years ago at the Portrait Masters Conference, and instantly I knew I needed to learn more from this guy. His philosophy towards photography is different from a lot of the intensely serious instructors in the industry. At the moment, he encourages his students to stay in a place of childlike wonder, not letting the camera get in the way, but instead looking at the world through childlike eyes, through eyes that question and want to understand the world around us. And that approach has nothing to do with lenses or gear or technique. I've been to several of Parker's workshops and to say they're different from everything else that's out there is an understatement. While most workshops have the instructor tell you the settings for a given scenario and how to accomplish all the technical components of photography for a nice image, Parker challenges you to answer most, if not all of the questions yourself by exploring and trying and failing. There's no definition of a correct image. It's what feels good to you. Shadows are okay. Lack of detail is okay. Motion blur is okay. Anything goes so long as you can explain the why behind what you did. Clearly, he helps work through some of your technical blocks, but the creation of all of the art is left to the individual, and I absolutely love that style of teaching. Aside from being an incredible instructor, Parker has the unique gift for finding himself in interesting situations, speaking to interesting people. He's never without a fascinating story about someone he met somewhere in the world that leads me to believe he has a very special gift for connection that's so rare these days. So in this conversation, we talk about everything from the creative process to traveling cross country to avoiding cops in rural gas stations. It's always fun to talk to him. And I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. So now on with the show. you my friend i haven't seen you face to face in a long time i know it has been a, a minute you're where you're in Asheville at your home right now right i am i'm right in this moment i am in Asheville, north carolina drinking tea but you have been on the road and i saw you were just out in the badlands and it kind of brought back all the memories of going out there with you a couple of years back how was it how was the trip how was the trip not only like i know the workshop was great but how was the trip back and forth across the country Oh, it was amazing. It was well. I mean, uh, half of it was amazing. <laughs> I, uh, I think, because I live east of the Mississippi now, that 
I'm not real. I, I grew up east of the Mississippi. I've seen it, done it. And I just, I just go as fast as I can to cross the Mississippi River. Like literally every speeding ticket I've gotten in the last how many years has been east of the Mississippi. Because it's like I just want to get out and go west. And it's the lack of people, really. Yeah. And finding that, that solitude out there. And I just jammed all the way to the Mississippi. That is not to say there's not cool stuff this side of the Mississippi. Because there is. But I'm here and I go do that stuff here. Get on out. Where do you, how, how do you best go across the country? Are you a south and north person or are you a like a north and then west person? Like, how do you, or do you just diagonal your way, zigzag wherever you need I to go? I zigzag. I try to um, east of the Mississippi. I stay on the, the main roads for the most part. Um, the highways, the 80s, the 90s, the 40s, the 50s, the 30s, all that, and just haul ass. And then once I get out there, I find back roads. Like I try not to hit the, the highways and that's, you know, the rural life out there. That's, you get totally lost both literally and figuratively. And it's a, it's an amazing place. You know, it, it all started. I used to teach quite a lot at WPPI and I'd fly to Las Vegas every year, sometimes twice a year to go out and teach another thing in LA and it's like every time I flew across the country, I'd be just hanging out the window. Well, not hanging out the window. They, if they let me, I would. And I would just see all this amazing land and just be curious. Like, oh, what am I missing? This is like I've driven across country before, but like really dig into it. So, you know, curiosity got the best of me. And I haven't flown to the West Coast in like 15 years. Like I drive every time, every time. Yeah. You're like me. I'd, I'd rather drive anywhere than fly anywhere. Yeah. It's just, I'd rather pack a couple of extra days at the beginning of my trip and at the end of my trip and just drive. Sometimes clearly it's not possible, but it's been one of the things that over the past decade or so has allowed me to change my opinion about this country a whole lot. Um, sure. Just in, in terms of what I see on the road and the people that I talk to and the, the stories that I get told and then kind of the media impression. And this isn't some big weird conspiracy thing, but it's just the stuff that we're being fed is not yep. the same stuff that's being talked about at truck stops and at corner stores and just in conversations with people. And it's always struck me as you, you don't get that experience unless you get on the road and drive around and talk to strangers. And that's yep. kind of like your forte. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you I mean, can talk to anybody. When I'm driving across in, in the big interstates, I think of them as like Facebook, Instagram, and the news. Yeah. And then once I hit the back roads, that's real world. That's real life. What what is going on? But you know, the mainstream is what everybody sees. Everybody sees those billboards. Everybody sees what people's done. Everybody's making the videos of the crash and all the horror and the shit that is just piling up in our worlds. It's like getting off the road and getting off of that both literally and figuratively is is healthy for us so you know getting on the back roads and just stopping at a farm because there's a guy out there farming and you just want to say hi to him and meet him maybe you want to make his photograph but it's like it works every time every time it's like they're just like sure how you doing and then we get in a conversation and sometimes i stay on their properties and sometimes i'm taken in for goodness sakes it's crazy so, so i want to I wanted to ask about that specific thing about yeah. your ability to just kind of approach people. All right. I'm, I'm not built that way. 
I'm very much a don't worry, I'm no harm, I'm not going to bother you, anything like that, right? And it's kind of this people pleaser thing, but I just don't like to inconvenience or interrupt anybody. And, oh. you know, and that's basically what I've seen you do with a big smile and your burly presence and you kind of roll up on anybody. And I'm always curious as to once people get past the initial skepticism of what's this guy doing, what's his story? Um yeah. How do you find that conversation? And, you know, when you tell them you're a photographer and you're going to take their portrait, like what's the expectations that you set with them? Or is it just to meet other humans? How do you approach it? Well, I think expectations, that word, I don't, I don't get along with real well because I try not to have many expectations in life. Like I like to just live life as it flows around like the feather in Forrest Gump. It's like, I might land here. I might land there. And with the people, I don't give them any expectation other than uh, my frog, uh, my conversation with them and, and where it goes. I have no idea. Like it's always uh, this beautiful, just curiosity led adventure into conversation. I don't know. Like I'll usually stop when something piques my interest, like what he's doing uh, or what she's doing. If she's, Hang the clothes out or plowing the field or fixing a flat tire or whatever. And, you know, it, it's just, um, it's just curiosity. I don't know where the conversation is going to go. I don't know if I'm even going to make a portrait. It's just another human. And I've been on the road and it's like, let's, let's get some, some, some humanality in life here. Yeah. It, and that's, that's the thing that I found on the road as well. You just, you get starved for that interaction and it's not even a starvation. It's just like you, you realize how much meaning there is in just day-to-day -day interaction. But I want to come back to the, the freedom of the road as it were. Right. So um, there's a singer songwriter named Martin Sexton. He's got this song off an album from the late nineties called uh, black sheep. There's a song in it called freedom of the road. And he talks about how he, you know, left home young and, just found his home on the road singing in these dive bars and orchards and you know coffee houses and all that sort of stuff in that freedom we had a conversation recently um not you and i nicole york and i about artistic freedom and the constraints that we're we find ourselves in right? Where we're having to produce artwork for a client, or we feel like we have to run our business this certain way, or we have to please people that are paying us through Patreon, and we owe them certain content, right? So we might have artistic freedom in air quotes, but is it truly artistic freedom? And you've always been someone that I've looked at as someone that has well-defined artistic freedom. You just create for the sake of creation, um, whether it's music or visuals or video or imagery, whatever it might be, books, prints, right? You've got this artistic freedom. Do you feel like everybody can have that? Or is it just, you know, the narrative that you define? Do you feel like um, you're constrained in any way? Do you feel like there's a, a notion of artistic freedom? Rather than expectations, do you have, you know, any problem with the word artistic freedom? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have I'm not, I'm not a troublemaker, man. I'm not word police. Um, I'm a, yeah. I'm a word police. Um, yeah. Just don't say capture. Just don't say great capture. Oh my God. 
like I didn't <laughs> capture a tiger. No, no, no. We're, before we go on to artistic freedom, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna dig in here just a little. Oh bit. God, here we go. What did I do? So, is it, is it capture? Is it make an image? Is it take a picture? Is it a snap? Is it a pick? Uh, like, I mean, and what is it about capture? What, what are you saying? In my personal opinion, what is? Yeah. Oh, okay, so I'm okay with snap. I'm okay with snaps. Like snaps is kind of fun. It's kind of. Like some of the stuff I take are snaps. They really yeah. are, especially when I have my little Rico, which you know. And yeah. those are those, a lot of those are snaps. It's just like really quick out the window, bang, done. Um, when I create with like my big camera, yeah. it's it's not a capture. Like I don't know why I have such a bang with that word. And with, well, with any camera, it's not a capture. It's um, it's a it's a make. And it's not a take because that seems very not nice to take things. So I, I make or create. Um, uh, I can grab. I'm allowed to grab. I'm allowed to snap. So snap, grab. Uh, yeah, create. Snap, grab, create. That's my new tagline. Copyright 2022 Park Street District. Uh, I'm going to put that on my website faster than you can. So it's <laughs> mine. Damn it. Um, all right, so, so sorry for the tangent let's get back to the artistic freedom thing do you think yep, yep. there is such a, a notion as artistic freedom or is it just what you define for yourself um oh gosh it's just how i live my life i think i think artistic freedom and it doesn't stop at my artwork um it it's kind of the way i live you know i just had this idea of selling my daily driving vehicle to get me from point a to point b and buying a, a, a Ford Transit van, a uh, high top, and converting it into a mobile studio, a mobile home um, that I can travel around every anywhere I can get it. And um, that's kind of home base for a while. And I can be on the road for an extended period. I can be down the road for an extended period. Like if I want to get into a community here, I'll just, I want to, I want to feel like what it's like with them. So you know, it's living that kind of artistic lifestyle. And even with the cooking over here in the kitchen, it's, I'm the same way. It's like my dad always threw these concoctions together. Like I've always threatened uh, making a restaurant called like dad's, play. I don't know what it would be called, but um, I would, uh, PJ is probably, because my dad was PJ and I'm a PJ. And uh, from here on out, I'd rather everyone just call me PJ. So thank you. Um I, I, I cooked the same way he did. He threw things together and created these bizarre dishes and they were delicious. They were amazing. They were new. They were different. They were, they had everything going, you know? So I still cook that way. Like I don't follow recipes at all, but I, um, I go with my curiosity. I'll tell you something. It's like, I wonder what this would taste like. And I throw it in there and it's, it's literally all the way through. It's the same way with the photography and everything. So like having creative freedom is just living my life. Like I don't, and not to sound all like, Oh, I got it all together. Cause I, <laughs> I don't, that creative freedom has crippled me in the business world and everything. Like I don't know diddly squat about running a business or anything. And that's one of the things this year that I'm really, really uh, buckling down on. And I have like huge lists going on over here. Uh, meeting with SEO people and business coaches and 
this is just in the last few weeks. So like lots of stuff going on. So, you know, the creative freedom can get me in trouble sometimes. Is, is that, are you meeting with all these folks because time I learned this or is it outsourcing stuff? Is it just trying to refine your business and get better and pull it all together? Because I mean, you can say you suck at business, but you've supported yourself on your art for a really long time. So, you know, is this movement towards the coaches and SEO gurus and whatnot um, trying to elevate yet again, or is it just to organize your house and just get your ducks all aligned? Uh, a little bit of both. It's it's kind of ducks aligned a little bit, but more it's to elevate and grow um, the business, especially while I'm here. And one of the things I'm really focused on is portraits at the moment and and i say portraits at the moment and it gives me a a little tinge that at the moment thing because i tend to bounce around quite a lot and i never go all in on anything that just has never been my style but i go a lot in on several things and and portraits being one of them for so long I, it's so funny i just made this post today about how I just photographed two clients in in uh, this week and last week that um, or last last week I photographed two clients. So I'll get it straight in a minute. And neither one of them knew I made portraits, and they live here in my town, and they've known me for like one of them said twenty years, and like been a fan of my work. But she saw me as a wedding photographer, and it's like I don't I didn't want to bother you or you know belittle you to shoot to photograph my kids. So it's like, whoa, really? So I just had to make a post today introducing myself. It's like, yes, I love making portraits. And um, I think I've gone off on a tangent. I don't know where I was, what were we talking about? No, we were talking about business and kind of refining everything. Oh. And, you know, again, it's the, it's the narrative that you tell people, right? They're not going to know that you shoot portraits of kids unless you tell them you shoot portraits of kids, right? Because exactly. every yeah, one of my favorite specific about what type of portraits you want to make of people, right? And and I think that's where I get hung up, where a lot of people they don't understand that you know when I post a portrait, it's actually a paying portrait too. People see it as like, oh, that's a really cool fashion fine art. It's like, no, those are my portraits. This you too, you too could have this. Yeah, you too can have this after. 40 years in career and expertise in every camera format and brand and well, film style. I more than so, yeah, no, you too. It's just, it's a simple 47 step process. No, 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 no. I meant the client, not, <laughs> not you too as a photographer, but you too as a photographer could have this. Absolutely. Why not? What are you so, telling yourself? But, man? but, you know, the, the interesting thing is when I see your portraits, right? They are so different than contemporary portraiture. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just you've defined such a style, whether that's medium format or the eight by tens or, you know, whatever it might be, whatever system you're using, you create such distinctly different looking portraits that are eye catching and you know, in the day and age of smartphones and simple mirrorless cameras and even the point and shoots, um, it's so easy to make beautiful images and then the process stops. For you, it's always seemed like 
the process begins way out here somewhere. Yep. And by the time you get to using the camera and taking the portrait, you've already got it pretty well defined up here and the camera just becomes the tool rather than using the camera as something that I hope I get a good portrait with. The portrait's already captured. Wink, wink. The portrait's already, the portrait's already made. You're just creating a physical representation of it, right? Is it, am I getting that right in terms of the way your brain works? 100%. Wow, get out of there. <laughs> Why you can. Um, yeah, that's exactly. And that's what I teach. You know, it's the same thing. It's like really digging into figuring out who, you, and I think it starts with who we are. And we have to know who we are. And I'm one curious dude. If I was a cat, I'd be dead a long time ago because I'm, I'm curious. I like, I want to know what's going to happen when I do this. What's around the corner? What's over the hill? Will I survive? Which is a lot of the question. Um, and it's just like, I got to know these things. So creating with the camera, it's just like, well, I'm going to try something different. And it's a, it's a, it's a, um, hmm, what is the word I'm looking at? I almost said burden. I almost said uh, challenge. Uh, what it, it is, it's, it's really hard <laughs> to do that up myself on every shoot. I don't like to repeat myself. I like to do the same thing again and again. Um, even when I photograph weddings on the weekends, every weekend, I try to do something different every wedding. Um, and it's, it's, it takes a lot, but you learn a lot. You learn a lot about people. You learn a lot about yourself. And once I started learning about myself, it's like, oh, this is me in every photograph I make. This is my curiosity. It's me that I'm taking a, it's me that I'm making a portrait of. Wow. I, in conversation, the take just came out. I'm sorry, world. I didn't mean to take from you. But it's me that I'm making a portrait of. It's like a mirror. And e even to the fact that when I'm photographing somebody, they just mirror what I do. Like, even if they don't, like, I'm not talking like on a, on a, on a fashion shoot or anything. Portraits with kids. I just shot this four-year-old yesterday, day before yesterday, and Isla. And Isla knew, ex like, I do this with people. And they, a four-year-old knew exactly what it meant. Like, I know that's a human instinctual language. And it's just like, and she's like, because she was just a grinning, she had just the most amazing smile. But I didn't want to see the smile all the time because that's, that's not me. Not me. I'm, I can be a little bit um, melancholy. And that's what I like to pull out of my images. I want a little bit of them and a little bit of me. And, and I think put, that's, that's putting your signature. Then you don't have to sign the print. But I mean, and I, I love all of that because one of the things that I've known about you, and it was from the first time I met you playing pool, drinking bourbon, um, was your your ability to connect very quickly, right? And make people feel welcome, whether it's empathy, whether it's a genuine um, interest in what their story is, whether it's, like you say, living in this state of wonder um, and curiosity. But you've got this very... Um, easy way of connecting with people and it's it's such it's such a gift that a lot of people don't have and i know that that breaks down a lot of things for you um but it's it's that ability to connect which allows you to combine those elements of yourself with them in a genuine way that's authentic to both and i think 
you know, if you're, if you've got a subject in front of you that you're forcing your vision on them, not allowing them to collaborate, or you're just giving them what they think they want, then there's no real connection there in the portrait. And you've been able to transcend a lot of that. And um, do you think it's just from that connection and talking to people and making them feel comfortable in front of your portrait that everything comes together so well? Or is there something else to it? Uh, no, I think it is. I think it, it is all just this human connection and knowing myself and and knowing that I'll never force anything. Like you mentioned the word force and I felt a little eh. like, I don't, yeah. do I force? Do I force people? Like, I guess sometimes I do. Um, you know, it's not really a force, but it's a, it's a sell. It's a right. sell sure. an idea to you. Um, I'm real careful with my words if you haven't noticed, noticed because I believe what we say to ourselves is the greatest influence of everything. Like our whole existence is what we say to ourselves. And even subliminally, like when we just say it in our mind and not out loud, which doesn't happen very often to me, it's usually out loud. And because I like to talk to myself and my friends that aren't here. Um, I, I, like I, I, I totally believe um, I've lost my place. I totally so, believe I've lost my place. No, in this I, I think you know the 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 ability for you to connect with people the way that you do, right, mm -hmm. um, allows this collaboration, whether it's conscious or unconscious, of what they're trying to portray, what you're trying to bring to the table to pull right. out of them, right? And they're pulling certain things out of you and suddenly you're in this flow, right? right. And I've seen you do this and it's amazing what happens. I could walk up to that same person, try to have that same connection, go through all the same things and never be able to capture the soul of the person the way that I've seen you do it. And I don't say that to blow smoke up your ass. I do that because it's a special quality. It's a way of body language and voice and wording and being conscious of the other person, um, giving them space to be themselves. And it's just, it's a really, I don't like to use the word talent for something like that because I think it's innate, um, but it's a skill as well, right? You're, you're, you're selling you and you're selling trust in you as a stock yeah. and they're either buying that or they're not. Right. And more right. often than not, they buy it. Like I right. very, very seldom get shut down. Like it's the craziest thing. Even the, the, the roughest looking person, like I don't believe in judging a book by the cover. And so I'll talk to it. Like my son is the same way. He'll talk to a tree. He has no, like it's whatever. And I'm the same way. It's just like, I don't get hung up on what somebody could be. I want to know what they are. Right. And, and getting past that knee jerk thing that is, and, and that's something I've dealt with my whole life of having this knee jerk reaction to stuff and then just going off on it. And it's like, wait, what, what? And so that's been a 20 year practice for me is just like to stop the knee jerk. And it's like, wait, let's just, chill a second and what what is true here what's north where's north where am i and how can i benefit from this and how can i give my help to this person and and through this conversation sometimes you know 
I've made portraits of strangers and we've become really great friends like to this day. And it's like, I don't know him from anybody. I met a guy on the road trip on the way back from the Badlands and he just happened to have a Sprinter van too. And he thought I was one of his old, super long ago in high school friends. And he followed me for like a hundred miles. And I'm just like, who is this freak? What is going on? And then I finally pulled off to get gas and coffee and he followed me in and he goes, Hey man, I don't want to, I just thought, man, I just had to be a hundred percent sure that you weren't, uh, I forget his name now, weren't this guy, Jeremy, maybe, I don't know. And you're not clearly, but can I buy you a coffee? And I'm like, sure. And so we had a conversation. Turns out he's a fly fishing guide in Montana and he's taking his dog on the last road trip that his dog will probably go on. So I, I was just like, wow. And we, we shared this, 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 I don't know, we shared an hour and a half together in this parking lot, talking about cool fly fishing stuff and petting his dog, Lucy, ah, I forget his name, her name, Lucy, I think, and petting the dog and hanging out. And I was like, hey, I want to make a portrait of you guys. So I just made my little portrait station on the side of Homer, got him around there and made a portrait. And his girlfriend just saw it and she reached out to me the other day and she's like, I want to get him that print for his birthday. It's coming up. And it turns out her, his ex-wife lives like 30 minutes down the road from me. And it's just like this wild thing. So now we're like in communication. I gave him one of my books out of the back of Homer and signed it for him. And he just he, like he loved poetry and he's writing a book at the same time. And he's like, man, this is what I needed to really propel me to finish my book. So through my curiosity of being like, okay, well, through his curiosity, right? Of thinking I'm somebody else. And then we pull in and then my curiosity of like, well, what's this guy about? We're here. We might as well talk it up a little bit. We've created this help for one another. And it is, it's just, ah, it's a beautiful thing, but it happens weekly to me at least. Well, I think one of the, the things that is core to that and it's one of the things that you've slapped me around no matter where in the world we are together. You always slap me with this in some way, shape or form. You're like, slow down, just slow down. Right. We're all going so fast. We're, we're run by calendars. We're run by our phones. We're always off to something else. We forget to enjoy the passage of time and we yeah. forget to just be in the moment and slow down and look at the world around you. What, light do you have what subject do you have what are the shadows doing where are you in location change your location right everything is just slow down and you've been able to take that philosophy and apply it to life slow down look around see that interesting guy go talk to him you know paranoid me is like he's gonna stab me in the throat you're like hey, it'll make for a good story you know and there's this aspect of just slowing down and observing that is um it's hard to find in most people these days right because there's always something to do there's always some place to be or someone to be yeah. so um you've kind of mastered this art i saw it i remember seeing it in i think it was iceland um in Vik after we we're getting off the black sand beach and we were going to a, a cafe up on the hill there that little glass cafe visitor yeah, center yeah, yeah. And there was this big burly dude that came out and we we're all just in a conversation. And then suddenly Parker was gone and we're looking around. We have no idea. We swept out to sea, maybe no, no idea. And you're over talking to this enormous guy making portraits on the side of a building. Yeah. And it was really quick and fast, but I saw 
your ability to connect. You are always observing the world around you. And it's just such a fascinating approach to life because it's foreign to someone like me. I'm like, how fast can I get from A to B? I've got time. I've got things to do. And so because you're always hitting me with that, it does change your approach. It's not just shooting. It changes your approach to every day. You do slow down and you do observe more and you come to a, a much less frantic feeling of every day. And it's very peaceful. So thanks for at least showing people how it's done. Well, I mean, you know, something you, you say something you just said is like, you know, I have things to do. It's like the only thing you have to do is live if you choose right. to. Everything right. else is your choice. And and that's the, the slowing down and getting off the main highway. And it's the same same thing, you know, it's just like just you don't have to do anything. Right. It's just what we choose to do. And it's like I choose to be curious and um, I hope I'm not seen as an asshole when I leave a conversation mid conversation to go talk to somebody else for a second. Didn't and, last too long. Couple hours. Okay. Good, good. But I mean, that's that's who I am, and most of my close friends know who I am. Like we'll be in mid conversation, and I'm off, sometimes gone. Like I'll just and I'll text them back later. It's like, hey, I just talked to this guy, and he's doing this thing in his backyard. I'm taking off. I'll see you in a minute. Like, I'm curious and I always have my camera with me. So I'm always ready. And, um, and a lot of the times I can say a lot of the times I don't make a photograph. It's just the story, you know, right. and, and my, my grandpa Homer, Paul, he, he told me before he passed away, it's like the person with the most stories wins. And I believe that I've been living that for gosh, 20 years now or more and i signed up for a story and then me and my friend joe photo <laughs> like uh smart has the plan stupid has the story so that propels it even further it's just like well what can i do that's most people would think would be stupid which is to go um well i was i was in mexico in the barrio i saw this guy he had this little um uh chair in the middle of a roll-up door kind of place that was um the size of a of a, of a bathroom in the u.s mm. not even but it had a roll-up door so the whole length of it was was on the street a dirt street and he had a mirror and this chair he had two chairs and and a mirror and a little table with some stuff on it and he was he was a barber and i'm like you know what and that this is the last time i got my haircut by other than me right right and this was in 2004 i was photographing a wedding in mexico and took my camera into the barrio and, and photographed people and met people and i saw this guy and i was like hey do you uh can you do a straight razor shave i've never had one and he's like yeah and this guy's like covered in tattoos like he's hard hard looking and I'm just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm going to just, hey, will you please put a very sharp object to my neck and head um, that could easily just slip my throat and, you know, take away my $10,000 camera? Could, could you do that for me, please? And I'll pay you. And he was the nicest guy. And he sat there and he starts doing it. And then his wife comes in, sits down next to me in the other little chair. And these aren't barber chairs, by the way. These are like 
these are like lawn chairs, right? And like the plastic hard chair, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And his wife comes down, sits next to me, not two feet, three feet away, and like starts breastfeeding the baby and starts talking to everybody. And I'm just like, where am I right now? Like, this is amazing. Like, it's just the most amazing conversation. Turns out he was deported 10 years prior. He had been to the U.S. and he actually, he's glad he got deported. He didn't like it up there because of the people. And like, oh my God, here's a conversation. So that's what it turned into. And it was just, it was amazing. All because I was like, okay, this could be a story. Here we go. It could be my last story. I don't know. Do you have the strangest story from the road? Do you get asked that a lot? What's the strangest story from the road? I don't have the strangest story from the so road. what's the what's the apex the epitome the summit of stupidity uh for a great story oh my gosh i have to think about it i've done so many dumb things um um oh my god do you need me to do you need me to quantify it to a, a certain time period uh no no i kind of have one. Oh my gosh <laughs> so I was meeting a friend in Albuquerque, New Mexico, picking up from the airport. And he's like, hey, man, I can't fly with weed. You need to bring it. And I'm like, all right, I'll bring weed. At this time, I had quit smoking for a while. I mean, I never smoked. I've never done it, ever. I didn't inhale. Anyway, so I found uh, I, I found some and I brought some for this two-week adventure on the road that we were going to have. And everything was fine. I'd completely forgotten about the weed in the back of the car. And are we allowed to talk about this on here? I mean, it was sure. a legal state, actually. Well, no, I don't think New Mexico is. Never mind. It wasn't in New Mexico. It was in Colorado. Anyway, we... <laughs> I driving down the road everything was fine until i got to the texas uh new mexico line where i picked up this black car with tinted windows behind me this is like 10 o'clock at night and there's a stretch from texas to albuquerque that's very long i've driven that i know exactly 75 miles of of just straight yeah and so i'm cruising along and you know i saw him sitting in the median right and he got right on and just followed me, followed me, followed me for half an hour or more. So about 15 minutes into this following, I'm just like, what, what's his deal, man? What's, what, why is he following me? And then I remembered I had the weed in the back. And I'm like, oh, he must know. <laughs> like, I, you know, like I went total paranoid. And I'm just like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And so I'm cruising along like half an hour. Is going, like my palms are sweating right now. I was so freaked out. Half hour into the trip nobody's on the highway on that stretch he comes around the side of me this is a four-lane highway comes around the side of me and i'm just cruising along i'm like i'm not even gonna look over not even gonna look over but he just hangs there way too long right and i'm just like oh man and i'm just i just quick like look over like what are you doing like being a way being a jerk and i look and he's got like his laptop flipped up so it's just his face and he's got his window down and i'm just like oh my god like, and he's just staring at me. And I'm just like, what is this guy's deal? And I'm cruising along and I'm like messing with the radio, trying to turn up something really loud to get my mind off of what is happening right, right. now. And so he, he like 
uh, finally backs off, and he's there for a solid five minutes. Five minutes, just staring at me. Gets back really? behind me. He travels another half an hour. So this is well over an hour of him just totally messing with me. And like lost trying to make me life. screw up, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like straight. I'm freaked out. And all of a sudden, the red and blues come on. I'm like, shit. And I start to pull over. He goes into the median on the other side and takes off. And I'm just like, oh, my God, what the hell? No way. But then I go on down the road, and there's another cop sitting along the road. And I'm like, oh, my God, he's going to follow me. He's going to follow me. Sure enough, he gets out behind me, but not like close like this guy was. And I'm cruising along, and I'm coming into Albuquerque, and I'm just freaking out, right? And there's this little town before Albuquerque that I planned on – well, but I didn't plan on staying in, but this guy was behind me and I'm just like, all right, I got to get off the highway. I'm going to get a hotel. Like, I'm not going to sleep in my car. I'm getting a, a motel. So I get off, I get this motel and I'm just like, okay, everything's cool. And I'm just like, you know what? I got to get rid of the weed. Like, I can't go. Like, I've only got 30 miles to go. I got to get rid of the weed, right? So I'm like, well, I don't want to, well, I'll just go out my car and I'm going to grab it. I'm going to put it in the dumpster. Like I'm done. I can't do it. Sorry, Joe. Sorry, Joe. Shit. Sorry, Joe. It was for you. Um, so I go out and I open my trunk and I'm digging through the box where it was. And I just grabbed the bag of weed when I hear gravel behind me and I stop and I just kind of turn around. It's a sheriff with a canine dog hanging out the window. Like, just like his head out the window. And I'm just like, oh, uh, <laughs> what's going on? Oh, my God, I'm turning red. And, and he's just pulling in because there's a diner next to it, right? But I'm just like, oh, my God. And I put it back in there and I shut the lid. And I'm just like, well, going to go. And he pulls in next to me. And I just say, hey, how you doing? And I get in and I'm like, I'm out of there. Then I stop at the gas station. I pull into the gas station. I, I need a gas, so I, I'm like, I'm going to fill up, I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to throw it in the gas station can. I put the gas in, I'm putting the gas in, and as I'm walking around to put the um, weed in the trash can, it was in my hand, my toe catches the, the hose as I'm stepping over it, and I hit like a sack of hammers. I mean... Oh, it hurt, hurt, like bloody my elbow, son of a bitch, that hurt so bad. And the only thing I could see after just a second are these really shiny shoes standing in front, right in front of me. And I've got a bag of weed in my hand and I, I'm like, oh, and this guy says, you okay, buddy? And I'm just like, oh my God, I'm dumb. That hurt so bad. And I look up, it's a state trooper filling up with gas. And I'm just like, oh, oh, what is going on with this trip? So, by the way, they had just legalized weed in Colorado. This, this is whatever year that was. They had just legalized. And so I just like quickly rolled myself over and got up with the bag of weed like under here. Right. And he's like, you need a hand up? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. You don't want to take my hand. And so I got back in the car filled up and everything and he's like you sure you're okay and i'm like totally fine totally fine get back in I'm like fuck it i guess i'm not throwing the weed away because i'm only like five minutes from the airport at this point i pick joe up i tell him the story he's like no way this is happening 
So then we get to Colorado. We go to the Great Sand Dunes. I'm wrapping it up really quick. And then we go to this little town. And we're like, finally, we can smoke weed legally. So we rolled a big joint. We're walking down the street in Almorosa, I think is the name of the town, at the Great Sand Dunes in, in Colorado. And there's a cop sitting there across from this little little store. And we're just smoking a joint in front of him, waving. I'm like, woohoo, legal now. Turns out it it legalized in Congress, but it didn't, or in the state, but it, it wasn't legal yet. Like you had to wait till the date of oh when it's my legal. God. We had no idea. They didn't stop us or do anything, but that's, I don't even know what that classifies as a dumb story, but it was, I was shitting bricks. That is, you know, it's, it's one of those things where power <laughs> of manifestation, right? I'm like, I know I'm doing something bad. I'm, yeah. I'm I know I'm going to see a cop. No, I'm going to see a cop in every yep. 10 minutes you see a cop, right? Yep. So, uh, power manifestation cameras on all the lights, like the interstate cameras, they were all tracking me, man. All tracking me. Were you like Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas and you're looking up and there's a, there's a helicopter above you following you everywhere you go. Yep. Yep. Right on. Um, so that kind of reminds me of like weird, weird things that, that happen on the road. You've also got this, not only this, this, um, cosmic connection to police, clearly um but birds right birds oh. are like a thing right so yeah. as as i've witnessed on several occasions and i don't know if, if many people know about this or you talk about this at all but it seems to be you have this supernatural connection to things that fly yep and oh, they're next to you yeah. they land on you they're yep. all about you what what's what's this what, all about what's with that yeah what's with that part I honestly, I am still trying to figure out what is with that. Um, anybody that knows me, even semi-well, will tell you a story about how a bird interacted with me or in my photograph especially. Um, I will it to happen. Like, I'll set up a frame and be like, okay, now I just need a bird. I don't have to wait very long. And they show up. Even if there's not like the sky is clear, there they are. They just, they just show up. And I don't know whether I'm just aware of them. It's like, you know, when you buy the new uh, Mustang and you're like, nobody's got this color. And then you see, you know, maybe it's that. I don't know. But I, um, like I had this, this photograph I just made in the last workshop in the Badlands where there was this big spire sticking up and just the spire into a sky of just white. It was just white um, over, overcast. And it just, when I, um, the way I exposed it in my Rico, it was almost like this big jagged tear in the sky. And I just loved it. It was amazing. Well, at that point, I'm not, I wasn't like, now where's a bird, right? But the universe or the birdiverse said, hey, you know what would make that even better for you? How about this? And so now there's this blackbird flying out of this, this big rip in the universe, right? Or the, the frame, at least. And here's this blackbird just soaring right out of it. Like, it just flew out of the darkness into the white. It's like, and just saying that, like, flying out of the darkness into the light is how I, I feel photographs. It's how I relate to them. It's not a visual thing. It's a, there's the story behind the visual thing that I can put on it. And if I can put on it, anybody can put on it, and it's their own story. And that's what makes this such a freaking great artistic 
medium. No, and I, I agree. And, and again, you mentioned a, a second ago that you did it all with your with your Rico. I think I have mine right here. It's always next to me. Little Rico I, GR2, right? And I got this because of your salesmanship, basically. Um, and no, we are not sponsored by Rico in any way, shape, or form. But I but, should be. Hello, Rico. But you should, but you should be. Um, and you're welcome for, you know, being your agent on that. So the interesting thing is something like this produces images that are comparable to just about any other camera out there. And I think the the thing that fascinates me about it is we get so caught up in the gear and the lens choice and all the things that people poo-poo on little point and shoots. But what you were just talking about is the moments that happen where you don't necessarily have all your gear and you just have to use what you got. And, you know, having something that is a fully capable camera in a pocket size doesn't matter. It's about you being able to express whatever that moment means to you. Right. And I think people get really wrapped around the axle and I think would be insanely surprised if they knew about your work, some of the things that I've seen you do, and you're taking photos of photos of things that you've taken photos of, you know, and you're doing like multiple levels of processing and all on very simple gear rather than on, you know, the latest and greatest digital camera. Um, the tool is the tool right? And the art is kind of created up here. Um, but talk about your love for little cameras like the Ricoh. I mean, in as it flies in the face of conventional wisdom, what's the latest Canon or Nikon or Fuji or, you know what I mean? So why, why something like this for you? Um, oh my gosh, there's a plethora of answers here. Uh, one, it fits in my pocket, literally my front pocket. It is smaller than my iPhone. Mm -hmm. And I can literally have it with me anywhere. When I drive, I take it out of my pocket. It goes on my steering column. And its startup time is like that. I can hit on and click. I've already got it set to snap focus, which is this cool thing that it can do that no other camera in the world can do. Um, so I guess it is about gear in a little bit. But it's not about the latest and greatest. And like, this is an old camera. It's not a new camera. They make newer versions of it, which I don't care for. I prefer the older one. Um, it, it can just, it, it, it performs. It has a little pop-up flash. It's got everything I need. It can, uh, it's, it's got a leaf shutter. Um, somehow they crammed an AP, yeah, there it is. Somehow they crammed an APS-C sensor in this thing that I have no idea how they do. It's the smallest camera with an APS-C sensor. Um, has a black and white. I shoot JPEGs mostly on there, black and white and um, color positive film. I'll switch back and forth. Uh, it has my little lanyard that I wrap around my, my wrist. Like when I go shoot my portrait sessions, I'll have that around my wrist and my GFX around my neck. Yep. And even on my GFX, I'm not using the Fuji lenses. I'm, I've got an old Zeiss 8514, 3514, 22, 28, F2. Like these are the lenses. They're all manual focus. So that 
slows me down. And those shots are radically different uh, from the images that I make in the Rico. The Rico are about like really in the moment, like really in the moment shot, really in the face. It's a fixed lens, 28 F2.8, um, which you can't make portraits with a 28 millimeter lens. And I, that, that's the old, old saying, and I totally uh, disagree with that. Um, it takes a minute to learn it, but once right. you learn it, it has a very distinctive look and you understand its, uh, its power. And like, I even gave the GFX up for a while on, on portraits and now it's found its home with a little bit longer lens. So the 85 on there actually works out to about a 50, a 60 millimeter somewhere in there in uh, SLR, yeah. but it's very, very shallow and it's very artful type lens. And I'm backed off from the subject a little bit with this, the Rico, I'm very close to them. So I can carry on a conversation and be really quiet and whisper. And I can like pull the strings that I need to pull to get the conversation going to, um, to engage myself to them and them to me. And it's this exchange that goes back and there's nothing like I never, I don't look at the camera. There's no viewfinder, right? So it's just like shooting my eight by 10 again, where I'm standing off to the side of it, having a conversation. And I wait for that one click. Well, now I've got this and I know it's a 28 millimeter lens. I know my frame and I can just sit and have a conversation with them while I'm clicking. And every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, and one for the camera. And they're like, what? And click. And then, then I just like, I interact with them. So it's become a very powerful portrait tool, let alone the one that's always with me that I'm creating all this cool image. And when I, when I photographed the, the rip in the sky, I had the GFX on me. And I wasn't in any rush. I was leading a workshop group, but it was, it was like, I chose that because of the way the images feel right out of the camera. Like they have a feeling that is much different than the other, um, a lot smaller megapixel. It just, they're just raw. And it's the most filmic looking camera I've ever shot. That's digital for sure. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with Fuji for that reason. And then when I saw the images coming out of this, this Rico, I jumped on it because it was the same look that I was after. I love shooting a wide portrait. I love more environmental stuff. Um, I like more in yeah. my frame. Um, yeah. And this just lends itself perfectly to that. And I think there's something to be said for it not getting in the way, not only of the artist, but of the subject. You don't have this big thing staring at you. It becomes unobtrusive right and it's much more in line with a cell phone right people are used to seeing something this size so this is not all that different and when like you said you do get the ability to know what the tool can do and how you can best utilize it in what setting right um it becomes incredibly powerful but again it ties back to what you were saying earlier you already had the portrait of the sky being ripped in your head like you already had that image created in your head it was just, oh, I'm going to use the Rico versus the Fuji because I know this tool will best display what I'm already seeing, right? right? So it's it's less about, I've got this cool new camera, look at the pictures I can take. It's look at the pictures that I can create. I just need to pull this tool out instead to make what I'm already seeing. And I think that's a really, it's an interesting way to go about gear. And it's the right approach, in my opinion, to understand that it's just tools, man. It's just stuff. Um, yep. but you've got to be able to look beyond what it can do 
and you have to look at what it is that you want to create and, you know, back into the tools that you need to use for that, right? A, a, a contractor doesn't go out and say, well, I've got a hammer and I've got to screw this thing in. Let me just bang away at it, right? And using the right. same camera and over and over, you just can't do it. So anyway, well, I just, I appreciate the fact that the work that I've seen you do with this um, is always very soulful um, in a different way because it's less about lens choice and perfect perfection. It's about right. feeling and emotion. And yeah, uh, yeah you've been able to and, do that. Right. And one thing I'll add is that I think today with what the what the cameras can do, this is a very capable camera. It, it yeah. does have a deep menu. It can do all the things the new ones can do, really, besides yeah. eye tracking and all that kind of stuff. But um, like I break, when I teach, I've, I've been breaking my, cause I get asked all the time. It's like, where does this creative, where, where, where does your creativity come from? Like, how do you think of that idea? Where does that come from? And I could never answer that question until several years ago, I broke down. Um, and that wasn't even several years ago. It was last year. I was on my way to an Oregon workshop and I went into the woods for eight hours and I wasn't going to come out until I had rewritten the, the whole workshop that was started the next day. And that's the way I roll. I like, I don't like to do things the same. Right. You remember. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was totally jazzed about this because I found the words to express and it was through personifying my, um, the archetypes that live me live within me to get to that place. So that's how I, okay, so that's how I can voice this. And it's like, I got to have the dreamer because the dreamer, he like dreams up all the stuff and comes up. He's the one with the curiosity. And then we've got the architect who's always watching the edge of the frames. Does this make my heart happy? Does this make me feel off balance? Good, bad, you know, all that. It's like the architect. He's got to line everything up. And then the technician who carries out the exposure, the timing. It's like, I can do it this way to create this, to make the dreamer happy because he wants this, this very flowing, lovely thing. So the technician has to jump on board. And then the architect steps in and is like, well, is he going to run in the frame or out of the frame? Like all this is going on. And then you've got the Zen master who's got to take all of that in context and be like, okay, I've got this, we've got it all figured out. So the Zen master takes over and then he hands it over to the magician. And the magician is the last one and he just does his thing. And whatever happens, happens. And the magician says, you need a bird. There's a bird, right? But people, what I've noticed in my workshops and I could never have words around this until last year was the cam, well, I've, I've, I've said this for a long time that the camera gets in the way of you being a photographer. Mm -hmm. The photographer gets in the way of you being the artist, right? And recently in my writing, I found out the artist gets in the way of being a business person. So it keeps going down, right? So I keep evolving and keep learning, which we need to do. Not need, we not should, we can do if we want, we, we evolve or we die. Um, so, that technician seems to be the hang up for most people. Like they get to the tech, they got the technician down. They're like, they know it inside and out. And then what do they do? 
uh, Canon announces the new brand new camera. Fuji announces the new brand new camera. So they switch. And now their technician has to go to work again because they have to learn how to run this damn thing again, which leaves all the other archetypes really, really lonely. And they're just like, okay, when do I get my turn? Do I get my turn? And I witnessed this at every workshop. Every workshop, the majority of the people are all hung up on the tips and tricks. And I do things very quickly. I do challenges. All right, you, you got one minute to do this. Here's what you're going to do. You don't know what you're doing, but you got one minute to figure it out and go do it. Because that's, that's how you sharpen. That's how you have these interactions with people and create the images like that. And you like, I'm trying to get them into my head a little bit but unlock who they are to do that. So that technician gets completely thwarted and overwhelmed by the new camera equipment. And I watch it again and again and again and again. And it's like, all right, y'all, just put your damn camera on auto for this. Like, let's just go, you know? Yeah, there's the one minute drills are terrifying. They are adrenaline inducing. They are great ways to show the deficiencies in your training and your craft. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, I love it. Um, and for those of you watching that haven't attended one of Parker's workshops, I will vouch. I've been to many of them. It is an experience unlike other workshops. And I think the, the difference is the approach to photography that is far different than come learn lighting or come learn how to use your camera or shoot fashion or whatnot. You spend more time on developing the artists themselves to think for themselves and to problem solve for themselves rather than come, let's all shoot over each other's shoulders and create the same image from, you know, 15 different degrees, right. Based on where we were standing. Right. And, um, taking the taking the nuance taking the artistic voice out of it when you're hosting a workshop like that and in in your workshops what i found anyway is that you're much more in tune to teaching a method that allows people to see the different sides of themselves and understand how they approach their art a little bit differently, how they go from technician to architect to dreamer to magician, right? How they tie all these things together. When, when I was going through um, with a new therapist, we talked about the personality types driving the bus. Who's driving the bus now? Is it the depressed guy? Is it the happy guy? Is it the manifester? Is it, you know, the, the clingy person, right? All of that stuff. Who's driving the bus? And it seems like you've been able to rotate everybody through on a nice little shift um, and everybody gets their turn driving the bus. But a lot of us don't do that. We don't allow ourselves right. the other archetypes to come up and present themselves and get equal time. And when yeah. we get too heavy on one or the other, we find ourselves in these ruts of not being creative or not knowing how to do something because we haven't taught the technician or, you know, rushing because we're not slowing down. So the the architect doesn't have the chance to compose or to really think or the dreamer doesn't have the chance to really look at the scene and figure out what they want to do. And you've been able to instill some of these skills through the workshops, which I think is magnificent and gets lost in this culture of instant gratification. I spent my money. I'm going to this. I want to create pictures like you tell me what settings I need to put them on. That's not how any of this works. I don't teach you how to be me. I teach you how to be you. Right. And that's what's that, important. That scares a lot of people. 
it oh my gosh it's a scary i mean i i, I admit it. it it is it's scary for me too because you know i go into these to not really know what i'm going to do not know what personalities i'm going to be up against right. or uh like it, it it's it's a it's a scary place but it's Man, once you see somebody light up when they really see their their dreamer come alive or their architect and they saw that and it's like, oh, I cleaned it up. I, I didn't clip the elbow. <laughs> or foot. Yeah, we'll let okay. that foot out there. No, message received. I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. Don't I just go on. <laughs> that Sorry, was, you were You were not... Uh, you were not cagey in that at all. That was I saw that coming down Broadway. Hey, um, I, you know what? I did it the other day, and it's so funny when it came up on the screen. I'm like, oh, I should send this to Matt. So the really funny thing, the funny thing, the inside joke here is that um, a lot of times uh, Parker and I will get together um, on, on Zoom or whatnot, and we'll just kind of show each other what we shot that week. And um, it's always, you know, I, I bring to Parker some of the, the portraits that I've shot that I'm really excited about. And I look at them and I'm like, look at this, look at the expression, look at the soul. He's just like, cut that toe off, did you? The bottom of that, bottom of that foot. Well, an elbow there, right? Just couldn't couldn't slow down and back off a half a half a step and just get everything in frame. And uh it's We're very hard. Closer and cut it somewhere else. Yeah. And and you would think that I would have learned at this point, but the funny part is now when I'm shooting, I've got this little bearded angel on my shoulder going, look at feet, look at the elbows. Right, and there's this little troll that sits there, uh, P <laughs> PJJ. I think I'm going to call him Barker J Jr. Yeah. and just sits there and gets me. But it's it's how I get better compositions. It's how I slow down and do it. So, yeah, um, yeah you, you get in the heads, man. You know, that's not to say you know, if if, if uh, you're in wartime and somebody's throwing a grenade and kids are in the background with with guns pointing at the grenade and there's fire and smoke and and you clip the guy's toe it's no big fucking deal right it's just like that's not about the toe it's about this scene it's like don't don't get me wrong um there are some things that you're allowed to cut off but when you're in a in, it, when you've got time and you just just get, get it man on deck yeah I'm sorry i'm sorry i'll keep working on it i'll keep working yeah. on it Hey, um, so what music you been into lately? Like, so we play guitar a bunch, but um, what have you been listening to? Uh, well, Camp released some new stuff, and there's a new album coming out, so I'm really stoked about Camp. I'm, I've always been a, a Camp fan, C-A-A-M-P. Yep. Yep. Um, love Camp. Uh, still, you know, gosh, let's see what I listened to yesterday. I listened to Camp, Towns Van Zandt, um, Oh, a little, uh, a little, um, yep. A little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah. Totally, I, totally lost my, my train of thought, but yeah. No, I, you know, I didn't mean to, to, to cut tangents so quickly, but, um, I know that you were collecting old guitars for a while oh, and yeah. you were hunting for those old acoustics. Have you picked up anything new and, uh, have you tried playing anything new on them written anything new? No, I, I have. I have played and written a, a few little things that aren't aren't fleshed out at all yet. But uh, I haven't gotten any new ones. Like I'm totally content with my 
my gear. It's the same as um, it's, it's, it's a tool, you know, and I'm sitting there right. looking at her. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's just like the camera. It's like, I know how to play her. I know we get along. We have a great conversation. I don't want a new guitar. I don't like, I've got my three and they all serve a very uh, unique sound and purpose. It's like my Rico and my 8x10 and my Fuji GFX. And I'm pretty much set. Now, yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask about that because I know with you being this well-rounded artist that has nothing to do with physical shape, I'm not body shaming, Parker. <laughs> you look very svelte. But as a well-rounded artist, yes. um, you write music and you make film. Do you put your music in your film ever? Um, not yet your own stuff in, in uh... there's been several plans of that yeah. um, that I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger on, but mm. you know, it'll, it'll eventually happen. Um, one of my friends actually used one of my songs in his video, but it was a video to me celebrating my 50th birthday. Like he put it all, put everybody's comments when everybody. It was phenomenal. Put, yeah, you were there. And it's yeah. just, and you know, I'm the background music that he recorded with me, and I didn't even know he was recording it. And um, it's really it's beautiful. It works for that. Yeah. yeah, no, it was it was gorgeous. I remember putting that together and um when he submitted that clip, um, I was absolutely blown away by it. Um so anyway, I just want to talk about your music a little bit. So I want to get back to um you're kind of this this camera photography anti-hero. And what I mean by that, and yeah. I, don't, I don't mean it in a bad way, you're you're out on this island by yourself. You are such an interesting entity in the photo in the photography world because of your environmental pictures, because of your portraits, because of the video, because of the workshops, because of the books, because of the printing, because of the things that people don't know about textures and, and digital art and you know the influence on some of the stuff that we use every day and older tools and software and you had your fingers in a lot of pies have you noticed the photography industry getting any easier or harder to navigate is it more saturated is it just um a different version of the same thing from 20 years ago but you're just older and more wise um have you noticed any landscape shifts in everything that you do that's causing you to go a different direction right you've never seemed to me to strike me as someone that follows what everybody else is doing because you live in this state of curiosity and wonder do you ever find yourself looking at the industry and trying to do something different on purpose or you just do what you do and it just happens to be different and individual? Like, well, I think there was a, sh uh, I say no, because I don't, I try not to look at the industry too much right. uh, to be honest. And it's not like a selfish asshole thing. It, yeah. I guess it is a selfish thing because I don't want it to influence me. I want my influence to come within but then, you know, there's yeah, there's a bad side of that, too, that you can, um, like, depending on where you are as, as an artist, I think, is when to let up looking at other things and do it yourself. But I, I think it's, it's an overwhelming world right now in gear, especially, in 
uh, software, all the things you can do. Like my computer, I had a 2012 iMac that died uh, two months ago, three months ago. And I had, I was forced to get a new computer. So I got the new Mac studio mm-hmm. and in doing so I couldn't use my Photoshop six anymore. So I was really bummed about that and I couldn't use my Lightroom five. So these are the tools that I used up until three months ago. So right. now I'm plunged into this world of Photoshop, whatever it is, 2023 that can replace skies that can replace subjects clone do all the stuff and it's it's um it's not exciting to me in the least at like in the least because i think it's just the 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 sky changing thing is um sacrilegious in Mm. in my realm it's very sacrilegious it's like um you know, with my 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 bird situation that I have, I get accused sometimes like, oh, you put those. But there's no way you put those birds in there. I'm just like, nope, fuck off. I did not. You can you can point fingers all you want, but it's just against my religion. And and I think that's just my background coming from that. And, you know, if I did it in the dark room, then it would say, you know, this is a this is a composite type thing in the dark room. Like, I just don't do it digitally so i think it's it's very um i would imagine like entering the well you know i mentor several folks i just finished up three mentor sessions started three new ones and there's a lot of confusion for people it's like i don't know what software what do i need what it's like well what you need is photoshop 6 and uh uh photoshop or lightroom 5 um, or not even that, like get a Rico and shoot a JPEG and it's done. You don't have to do anything to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think there's a lot of confusion. It's like what people think they really need and what they really need is just simplicity, um, just simplicity and an idea. They need simplicity and an idea and then figure out what they need after that, you know? And I think right out of the get go, out of the gate, if you're coming into the photography world with the camera selection and the software and the backdrops and the, you know, everybody's selling everything, it's, it's got to be super overwhelming. Like I keep my head in the sand quite a bit and it's still like borderline overwhelming for me. So. No. And you know, it is, it's ridiculously overwhelming and, and I'll speak, you know, as someone that's only been, doing photography in any way shape or form for about 10 years um but only doing portraits for about four now um i've i feel this pressure to be using the latest and greatest software to keep up right at mm-hmm. the same time there's a majority of me that pulls back and says just create don't touch anything get it get it raw and right or don't get it at all you know and I'm kind of caught between these two worlds. And I think a lot of photographers are, right? Where they're producing client work and there's a certain expectation. Again, there's that word expectation, right? Um, For having clean skin and good light and all that sort of stuff. And then there's the raw emotion of something that's less technically perfect. Maybe there's a little bit of motion blur, but it still tells a great story. People are so quick to say this is not perfect focus, perfect everything. Therefore, it's not a worthy picture. 
always bothered me. And I find in looking through my own work and other people's work, the stuff that I'm most drawn to are the imperfections, are the things that have a little bit more grit and grime and missed focus and um but there's feeling in it and it's been hard to divorce myself from that um especially if you stay in the world of competition at all and you're trying to do things and you're trying to play that game but it doesn't necessarily fit the style it's such a weird place to be but i think like you were saying, people are so focused on the technical aspects of the software and having the latest and greatest in the cameras and that they forget about the why they're doing this in the first place and what it is that they're trying to create. Um, and there's that bit of soul that I think gets lost every year that something new comes out. That could very well be me just being an old guy complaining about things. Um, but I think there is a little bit of soul that gets lost the more and more and more that we focus on technique and gear and technique and gear that we're losing part of that thing that makes photography so fun or, or art or creation in general. It doesn't even have to be photography. Well, I think yes and no. Okay. If, go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt you. No, but, uh, but I think what I mean is because we have the ease of all these tools, it's easy to do a lot more things. Sure. It doesn't mean you have to do all the things. Right. Right. And, you know, I'm a big fan of the simplicity first and then adding on if need be, can you yeah. use the tools to enhance what you see? Right. But instead people are thinking about, I've got all these tools, I've got to use them. Well, no, you no, you really don't. So, um, but I, I, that was the thought I wanted to finish. So go ahead. You're saying yes or yeah, no. I just, I think there's, there's a couple of camps there. Um, me being in the, you know, create the image before you push the shutter. Right. And then there's the camp of pushing the shutter a whole lot of times and not, not because they don't know what they're doing, but because their forward vision of this lies in post right where my forward vision lies in my my time coming up to creating that single or two images but they have other ideas that are equally as you know there's no right or wrong there's no right or wrong anything in, in art right it's just it just is it's just whatever so i think that camp over here photograph a lot of stuff and they're just technical uh or computer savvy technicians that i am not for sure that can do just incredible things and that screams who they are so i think they figured it out you know and and that's their way of doing it which is which is amazing now i've had several of those camps come to my workshops and I'm like, what the hell are you doing here? You're gonna, you're not gonna like this at all. Uh, you get one shot, and you get uh, 20 minutes to make it. So right. what are you gonna do with that 20 minutes, right? I force them into this other way of thinking, and but what they can take from that side, and then what I can take from watching them of what they do, and then that's how we just go up the the rungs, you know, and and climb to the top and get that good view. Yeah, I think it's. Um... The tool and the gear and that conversation, I mean, you can you can slice and dice it a million different ways. I just think that the the momentum seems to be picking up 
Um, because we have access to see everything, you know, not, it's not even like things are released now. We're getting the pre-release of the pre-release to get people excited about what's coming out and to already make them start feeling like this isn't good enough. Well, just because something gets released doesn't mean this automatically stops working, right? right? And I'm just using a lot more my phone. I'm using the Rico a lot more. I'm using older gear. I had to grab my old Canon T3i the other day and take some product photos. And I was like, this thing still works incredibly well for the job it's intended to do. So I don't know. We can get caught up in the, in the, the gear stuff all day long. But um, there's a couple of other things that I just kind of wanted to, to chat about. And it kind of ties into this whole... Um, artistic freedom part and it's the alternative processing the alternative ways of of producing work and one of the things that i've seen you do over the years is go out on a limb on processing because you print so much you have no problem mixing methods or trying something new or freezing pictures in cookie sheets or and then taking photos of that the alternative process seems to be such a sacrilege these days right to go about things so differently you're like what are you doing you're going to ruin that beautiful paper you're like yeah that's that's part of the art like I know you teach a workshop on alternative processing or alternative methods or however you want to describe it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's it's an important piece that's not being talked about anywhere else um, for exploration, for growth of an artist. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think uh, I think the alternative process type um, workshop thing that I've got planned is only for those who deem what I am doing as alternative process. So meaning I could take an alternative process workshop and I would be going to, so this is what, if I were to attend an alternative workshop, alternative process workshop, I would go to a, um, uh, a person who is creating lots and lots of images and really working on them in post, um, changing the skies out, putting in lighting, doing all of this stuff and using a digital camera. That is alternative process to me, right? So it's the way we think about what an alternative process is. Yeah. So for me, my what I have as alternative process isn't really my alternative process it's, it's your process. process right yeah. but to others i have to call it something because they're like what the hell is that like how what what like a lot of it you just can't really even wrap your head around because curiosity gets the best of me it's just like i'm gonna rip up a bunch of pictures uh prints and then photograph the ripped up pieces to create a whole nother set of images right and a whole nother storyline it's like how do i get past like this is what this means to me but what if i did this what would that mean to me what would that mean to the image so i just keep that well you've been to my workshop take it one more step one more step one more step what i i force people to take one more step and it's like for me it's like the idea of the printed piece being the finale like that's the end of your journey you've You've dreamed it up. The technician came on board. 
the architect, the dreamer, the Zen master put it all together. The magician threw the bird in. Now you get to look at it on your computer and then you get to hit print and you print it up and you put it on the wall for all to see, especially me. And that's the end of its life. And I didn't like that. Like, it, why does that have to be the end of the life? Why does the print have to be the end of the meaning that I can get from this? So like there, for me, there's more questions in this print hanging over here, right? So it's like, I, I got to know the rest of the story. What is the rest of the story? Where can this go? What, there's more of a story that it is hiding in the shadows. And I can bring those out by doing something to it. What can I do to it? What does this mean to me right now? But what could it mean if I put it under... Uh, water and tea and wine and then froze it in a snap freeze in the winter on my front porch and then re-photographed through the ice like what what would that mean where does that take the story or if I just rip them up and put it together then all these stories of all these prints start colliding and creating its own story and then you start building this community with your work and it it it's it's kind of maddening and beautiful and um there's a lot to it and i've been doing a lot of that lately as you can tell i'm a little fired up about it so um yeah just, i think it's you know it's it's really fun as i listen to it you're you're the analog version of photoshop <laughs> you're just you're doing all of these things. You're combining, you're masking, you're compositing, you're doing all of these things, changing color grades, whatnot. You're just doing it in an analog way, right? Yep. You're using different tools. And um, it's always fascinating to me just to watch that because I think people have in their mind that, you know, once you get to that print, it's done. It's printed, it's finalized, it's made real, it's made physical. Therefore, nothing else can be done with it. You're like, ah, I'm halfway done. Hold my beer. Right. right. And you just keep working with it and keep working and keep working with it. So, you know, I, I liken the processes to digital artists, right? Um, doing all fantasy stuff and and what you're doing with with printed work as well. It's relatively the same. Just keep mixing and matching and playing and molding until what you want emerges and you feel like it best expresses that, right? I think with one exception is that it seems like most of the digital manipulation that is going on strives for perfection or, or um, yeah. perfection and like lining things up properly. Precision. So it gives the illusion of, right. I go the way the opposite way. Like I don't want perfection. I want happenstance. I want happy accidents, right? I have no idea what this is going to do when it freezes. And why did that one turn that way? And that one turned this way. And they're sitting right next to each other. What happened here? Did a raccoon come in in the middle of the night and put that there? How did the air bubbles get under that one and not this one? Uh, like how did, you know, throwing this pile of, of prints on the thing, how do these line up? Like, I have no idea. And it shows it's not supposed to be trickery or wizardry, even though I have the, period for it it's it's a um it's just happenstance and i that's where i live i love that well dumbledore i think it's a fearlessness that um i think the word fearless keeps coming to mind when i think about everything that you do because it does have that curiosity and wonder but you're not afraid of what happens. If I printed this thing out and then i rip it in half and i stick it on top of this other one and i take a picture and it doesn't work 
all right, let me try it again. And you, you know, you don't stop there and say, wow, this is a failure. You say, well, okay, well, what have I learned? How do I move forward and try something different until you get there? And it takes a certain amount of um, resistance to fear or just understanding that fear is going to exist. Resistance is going to exist. Work through it. Keep pushing through it. And I think, you know, you've been able to develop that muscle where, you see that resistance and you see that fear and you're like, yep, I acknowledge it. I'm moving right past it anyway, which allows you to create things in a certain, you know, you have a certain voice because of that, where a lot of other artists may stop just short of it, just short of that realization um, because they, they allow that fear to creep in a little bit more. So I see it quite a bit, but I love, I love fear. I love failure. That's where I learn. That's my learning ground. So speaking of learning grounds and magic and fearlessness and your affinity for cooking in the kitchen tonight, um, what's for dinner? What are, what are you attempting to create tonight? Tonight, uh, I cooked yesterday. So Sunday was my cook day. Um, are you a prep I, meal guy or, or like do you prep meals for the week or are you like I, an instantaneous? I did, I did for quite a while um, and then I quit. And so last night I just, I, I cooked some, really quick like grass-fed meatballs uh grass-fed beef meatballs they don't grass-feed meatballs um and grass-fed salmon i'm kidding uh and i i have uh, some chicken thighs that i just threw on the barbecue last night and then made a bunch of broccoli and brussels sprouts so i'm gonna munch on those for the next two or three days because uh, i got a lot of stuff that I have to get done. So I'm very busy this week. So I'm like, I need to prep meal this week so I yeah. can maintain a healthy eating because that's one thing that's really um, knocked me out for the last month is like something's going on with my health. I'm just feeling really <sighs> low down and tired and I don't have the energy to do all this stuff. So I'm trying to get that back by really watching what I'm eating and it's working really well. So I'm excited and going out for, like I did a, a 35 minute walk right before this. So um, just trying to get uh, going in this world of, I don't know what's next. Yeah. Well, when am I going to see you again? When are we going to have a chance to uh, share a drink? Soon, I hope. Oh yeah, I quit drinking for a hundred days too, starting three days ago. So when are, you, when are we going to share some time at a bar where you watch me drink? There you go. Um, gosh, soon, I hope. Soon, soon. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got, uh, yeah. Well, I owe you a trip to Asheville. You made your way to Maine. Um, God, was it a year ago already? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I owe you a return trip to Asheville. So I'll fulfill that into my bargain. But thanks, man. Thanks for hanging out and doing this today. Um, hey, it's cool. Any chance I have to kind of get the free mentoring, right? I was trying to rack up the minutes here. Um, but, you know, under the guise of public service, I'm hoping yep. that I don't get an invoice for this. So um, <laughs> you were talking about business. I know you're trying to get better at business. Yes. Spare me one more day. Just suck until tomorrow. Um, oh. That way I don't get charged. Okay. Thank you, man, so much. Where can uh, people find you? What's coming up? Is there anything that you want to plug away on this just to get some folks interested? Uh, yeah, I've got um, – I'm always available for portraits. Um, I travel for them as well. I have several on the list 
um, going across the country in November. Uh, I have a workshop in Joshua Tree, November 7th through the 11th. Okay. And uh, on the way out, I'm driving, of course. On the way out, I already have two people that I'm photographing uh, in New Mexico, family, um, kids. And so I'm going to go photograph the kids because I don't, I don't really do family portraits, but I do kids and right. individual portraits of adults and things like that. Um, so I'm going to do that. Um, I have, let's see, September 12th through the 21st. I'm in Iceland. Uh, yeah. photographing the people of Iceland and the landscape of Iceland. Um, there's Amazing. like two spots available for that. Um, and that's a full 10 days caravanning all the way around Iceland. So we're going to photograph people, um, meet new people. Uh, this is my sixth trip to Iceland. So I know lots of folks and uh, producers and I know the, the area well. Um, so that's coming up. So jump on that if you're interested in that. Um, then I have uh, Cadiz, Spain, uh, April 1st through the 7th, and that's during Holy Week. Um, let's see, I have four people signed up for that one, I think four or five, and I think that's a limit of six. So there may be one or two more there. And then I have the Badlands in May again, uh, the first, second week of May, 8th through the 12th. That's the one that always so that I just just uh, released that and we already have three people signed up for it. So, yeah, it's it's we'll a magical time. and all that can be found on my website. Just parkerfister.com. Parker Fister with a PF. Um, yeah. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. I can't wait to see you, you again. Can't wait to see you again. So, yeah. um, all right. Thank you. I will uh, see you on the flip side, I guess. Okay. And uh, I'll talk to you all soon. Bye, man. Hey there, can I ask you a favor? If you're loving every minute of the show, and I hope you are, then subscribing is like becoming an honorary member of an exclusive club. Subscribing means you'll never miss a single episode, and trust me, you won't want to miss what I have in store. But here's the extra special request. I'd love it if you could take a moment to leave a five-star review. Your review is like a virtual high five. It lets me know I'm on the right track and helps others discover the show, too. Your feedback and support mean the world to me. I read each and every review, and they inspire me to keep bringing you the best content possible. So grab your phone and show some love with that five-star review. It's quick, it's easy, and it makes a huge difference. Thanks so much for being an amazing listener. Together, let's keep the conversations going. Subscribe, review, and let's make this podcast journey unforgettable.